Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 184 with my guest Pamela Martin. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Uh, two hours. You know what? I'm going to change that. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour honesty about all the battle. I don't need to tell you how fucking long it's going to be. You can look down and you can see it right there on your audio player. The Mental Illness Happy Hour. Honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, sexual dysfunction, to compulsive negative thinking. Lost my place. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Website for the show is mentalpod.com. Go there, join the forum, um, read some blogs, um, support the show, do whatever you feel like doing. Um, Here's that moment that happens in every episode where I feel like there's something else I'm supposed to mention, but I don't. Oh, oh! I got a podcast to recommend for you guys. Uh, I am loving Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Uh, I started off with a five-part uh, series on the Wrath of the Khans, Genghis Khan and his uh, successors, amazing, and uh, and I'm just about to finish one called uh, Prophets of Doom, that is about uh, some events that happened in the 1500s, um, kind of kind of uh, launched um, indirectly by the Protestant Reformation, um, but it's he's a great storyteller, knows so much about history, um, just love it. Highly, highly recommend it. All right. Um, let's do some struggle in a sentences. This is, oh, that's, yeah, that is what I wanted to tell you on the website. Go take, fill out the surveys. You can also just read how other people filled them out. People spilling their, uh, their deepest, darkest uh, struggles. This is from the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by, 
a teenager. Uh, she's gay and she calls herself fuckface. Love her. Love her. Um, compulsive behaviors, uh, nail biting, tapping, bilabial trilling. Um, I guess that would mean like going like that. Uh, swearing, coughing, making fart noises, saying the same words over and over, sticking my tongue out, etc. It feels like my family shames me for these usually pretty innocuous. Um, they tell me to have some self-discipline and it feels like they're telling me to stop breathing. Uh, being the victim of sexual bias, stop calling me a radical feminist because you're too clouded by your own ignorance to see five fucking minutes into the course of social progression. A couple hundred years ago, people uh, who said you shouldn't be allowed to own black people were called radical. Do you think uh, they were really radical or just using some fucking common sense? Uh, snapshot from her life. I was up all night anxious and depressed thinking about how fucking horribly I'll probably fail at everything and be a mediocre bees across the board student when school starts next fall. I woke up and was angry and pissed after seeing something ignorant and sexist on the internet. I started instinctively walking in circles around the dining room table and tapping the back of every chair as I walked by. My dad stormed in angrily and scolded. I told you not to do that even if there's no one in there boy a little bit of a control freak um ashamed i quiet quietly slinked off to the basement so that i could walk in circles around the stairs but it got boring because there wasn't anything to tap so i just started making horse noises last year in english class uh, we had a lot of discussions about society when a male classmate pointed out that something is sexist he was appreciated and praised for his insightfulness if i made a similar comment the guys would laugh and do that stupid oh thing that people in gangs do on stupid tv shows where a gang leader throws a particularly clever yo mama joke i just knew they were thinking oh wow the sex toy speaks do men realize how awe-inspiringly stupid they sound when they act as if the notion that a heterosexual man can wear and like dresses and still be a heterosexual man is some kind of a crime against humanity Thank you for sharing that. Um, this next one is filled out by a woman who calls herself Lavender Blonde. She writes, uh, she's in her 30s, uh, about a serious health issue. She doesn't specify what it is, but she writes, My body hurts from the top of my head to the tip of my baby toe. So bad I cannot move. The thought of movement is overwhelming. I push myself throughout the day. Um... And stop asking me how big my feet are and where I buy my shoes. I buy my shoes at the store. Fuck off. <laughs> this is filled out by um, a guy who calls, he's gay, and he's in his 20s. He calls himself, I am the stupidest person ever. Immediately my best friend. Um Oh, I love I love this this guy's responses about his anxiety. The other day, someone was trying to think of the name of a sedative drug, and I quickly listed off Valium, Clonopin, Xanax, Ambien. Enough said. Uh, bulimia. I feel like if I stick the toothbrush down far enough, the nastiness in my soul will come out. Not yet. About co codependency. In the last two weeks, I have given 400 euro to someone that I am pretty sure is a homeless heroin addict just because they keep asking. It has come to the point where they ask me for an amount and I don't have it on hand, so we go to the ATM together. Uh, about being the victim of racial or cultural bias, I am sick of people asking me, what does your name or what does that mean in your language when I go to Starbucks? I assume that's when he gives them uh, his his name. 
this is Struggle in a Sentence. This was filled out by a guy who calls himself KB. He's straight in his 20s. Uh, about his anxiety. Imagine the feeling of walking into a room full of everyone you've ever known, then stripping completely naked and giving a speech on a subject you know nothing about. That's anxiety in a nutshell. Uh, any comments to make the podcast better? Uh, he says some nice things about the podcast, and then he writes um, that he wants to give some constructive uh, criticism. Um, he says, not everyone has deep, dark sexual fantasies and exercises their demons through sex. Some, like me, simply don't have those types of temptations, at least not nearly to the degree often discussed in the podcast. Uh, I think because you've had a long history of hyperactive sexuality, you have a tendency to try and find common ground with others who are the same way, which is totally understandable. However, I'd argue a lot of mentally ill people actually struggle with this aspect of their lives and avoid having sex altogether because of their self-esteem, lack of confidence, or simple disinterest. I really don't want this to sound like I'm picking on you because I'm not. I just want to help make the podcast better. But I think a more conscious inclusion of those who are either struggling with sex or abstaining from it altogether would be better um, acknowledged and appreciate your audience as a whole um, thank you thank you for sharing that um, and you know one of my understandings about the effects of trauma on people's sexuality is that yes it can it can make people's sexuality uh, kind of hypersexual but it can also do the reverse which is it makes them completely completely shut down um, so that that is, I don't know if you've ever heard me mention that on the show, but I, I don't believe that everybody um, uh, gets hyper by it. Um, but it, it does tend to kind of be a binary. And of course, there's always exception people, people in the middle. Um, but thank you for expressing that and doing it in a, such a... Um, such a diplomatic way. I have to say the criticism that I get from you guys is always so um, phrased so wonderfully gent gently. <laughs> gently. Oh my god. This is a struggle in a sentence figured out filled out by a woman who calls herself motherless uh, about her anxiety. My body shakes, sweats, trembles with the thought of living every day snapshot from her life my family asking me to rekindle my relationship with my bipolar mother feels like i'm at the edge of a deep dark pit with no bottom and they are pleading for me to jump then i would say do not jump listen to your body um and then finally this one is filled out by b and uh she is uh in her 30s about her anxiety Everyone was just agreeing what an asshole I am when I walked in and they had to change the subject. Um, compulsive behaviors. I know I shouldn't sit in an open, conce an open concept office, pick apart my skin all day until it bleeds, but you should see what my coworkers do. Some of them have beanie babies on their desks. <laughs> Uh, and being uh, a sex crime victim. Hi, it's your relatives. Just calling to let you know your abuser is doing much better than you financially, emotionally, and socially. Did you get the birthday card we sent? Oh, God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. 
flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries. I cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm here with Pamela Martin, who was turned on to the podcast by her husband, who is a listener, and um, did you suggest yourself as a guest, or did he suggest you as a guest? He suggested that yeah. I write to you, yes. Yeah, because yeah. you live with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, also known as? Uh, what's CFS, fibromyalgia. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, mm, I think mm. you wrote CFS slash ME. ME. Um, that's myalgia encephalitis or oh, something okay. like that is sort of like the clinical term. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine how um, that's got all encompassing that has to be. Uh, you know, I suppose as somebody who lives with depression, I have a taste maybe of what it's like, but mine doesn't affect my body. I don't feel the pain and the... Um, talk about when when did it when did it first start uh well it's interesting because um uh it's something that i kind of have always had but didn't know what it was and i sort of attributed to my history and just who i was again sort of like anyone coming from like a dysfunctional background you sort of apply that to everything that happens to you in life. And like so just, the same with the chronic fatigue. I was, you know, I was sick a lot as a kid. And um, I think I've always had a little bit of it. But um, what happened is probably I'd say in the last seven to eight years, it kind of kicked into gear when I had or after I had a surgery. And at first, I thought it was because I had taken pain medication. And even though it was a week, I was having some withdrawal because they say that you have pain and stuff, but it wasn't going away. And it I felt like I was getting the flu, like constantly. And it just kind of built up from there. And unfortunately, it got more and more intense. And then, you know, I was fearing other things. So it was, it wasn't something I could ignore or really brush off anymore. It became. And when you, when you say that you thought it was because of your history, just meaning like, oh, my body's always. Well, no, I have a history. I have a history of sexual abuse. I have, like, I had, there was a lot of dysfunction in my family. Um, uh, like a lot of your listeners, I come from a rather sad and scary background mm -hmm. so uh, you know i have depression too <laughs> and you've hit the jackpot i oh gosh yeah i'm just full of it i'm, I'm gonna say you're greedy <laughs> you're dysfunctionally greedy i know how step, i just totally step away from the counter and let somebody <laughs> else feast on misery i know it's it's 
it's so exciting having uh, so much to choose from. My best friend who was a guest on this program is a, is a chronic um, pain specialist, mm. um, an interventional pain specialist, and he sees a lot of people that have mm-hmm. chronic pain. And he says that oftentimes he will ask them about their life and their emotional life and stuff because he believes, as many of them do, that some of it, it is emotional. It, it's emotions trapped within the body, but then there are clearly others where it's not, where it has nothing to, to do with that. Um, what is your opinion on that, and how do you feel when somebody brings that subject up? Well, mixed. Um, I've actually heard that too, and all the research that I've done about about chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and trying to make it better. Um, and I actually, I kind of buy it. Um, just being in my body and knowing my life and knowing the, you know, the whole PTSD and the level of stress that you feel even when you're not feeling it presently. I mean, it's always in your body. I mean, I went for a period of time walking into walls and apologizing to them. I mean, that is so awfulsome. <laughs> That is so fantastic. I did you're that not for the, a long time. You're not the first person I know that that that's that said that did that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've carried it in my body my whole life. You know, I've had, I've had. I buy it. I, I, I just, I hate to admit it because my pain is real, and it is real. And it doesn't mean that because I had childhood abuse um, that it's psychosomatic. I mean, this is real pain that I'm having right. that has been affected by, I believe that it's been affected by a lifetime of whatever happens in your body when, you've, when you're trying to yeah. make, you know, it work. Yeah. You know, I kind of picture a, a domino effect if you withhold these emotions and your emotions affect your nervous yeah. system and your nervous system affects uh, your, the, the, the rest of your body. So it makes it's, perfect sense to me makes perfect sense to me um so let's talk about your your am i putting words in your mouth or is there uh, is there shame in 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 god is there shame um yeah you know i'm uh i hate to say that i'm evolved around my shame but i've done a lot of work over the years and it's i'm evolved cerebrally Mm-hmm. but it still remains in my body. I mean, there's just, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I don't think, I haven't figured out a way to get rid of it. Does your mean, shame wear an ascot? <laughs> yeah, it's it's yellow. Um, but yeah, I totally, yeah, the shame is, I, I haven't gotten rid of it. I haven't figured it out, but I have managed, managed to manage, you know, not kicking and... Mm-hmm hitting myself as much as I used to. Are you comfortable talking about the childhood abuse? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, they're all, they're all dead. <laughs> who, who were the abusers? Um, well, actually, um, my father and my brother. Uh, I think there were about six people. Unfortunately, most of them were related to me. It was kind of like everywhere I'd turn. Uh, there was an uncle and this is all sexual abuse? Yes. Six different people. Yeah. I am so sorry. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. Oh, my God. Yeah, it kind of sucks. How How are you even able to trust men? Uh, 
you know, I had a lot, you know, I ask myself that question all the time as well. But I, I mean, I had a lot of positive role models in my life that really were just like, I was listening to your podcast, uh, just the last one, not the one that came out today and um, about his story. Could you remind his, me his name? I'm sorry. Mick Betancourt? Yes, yeah. yes. And oh my gosh. Um, and you know, I heard him talking about like the little glimpses that he would have, like his grandfather, the relationships that really are just like the threads that pull you through. And, you know, I often wondered, you know, why am I not down, you know, with a needle in my arm somewhere, or, you know, but I really had some positive people that I really chose to focus on. And I knew when everything was happening, I knew that it wasn't right. I knew that I needed to get out. And I knew as soon as I was old enough, that my life was going to be very different. And I and I focused on people that were healthy. And I had a few um, examples of that in my life that I really just who were the kind examples of focused that... on. Um, people, well, I had an next door neighbor that really kind of took me in who was pretty wonderful, their family. Um, it was a male figure. It was a female figure and a male figure, both of them, but mainly the female figure. You know, I would go there after school and she would teach me my, you know, do the flashcards and, you know, um, it, it, that and my grandmother. My grandmother was my shining star and uh, she used to come and stay with me uh, for periods of time when I was growing up. And so I was always safe when she were, was there because she would stay in my room with me. So it was just automatic home base. Then I guess it was on and off throughout the years until I was, I would say maybe 12. Who do you, you mentioned that your brother was, was one of the um, abusers? Yeah, yes, my oldest brother. Where do you think he learned that from? Because I don't believe anybody does that in a vacuum. Interestingly enough, uh, um, I th I don't know, but I think it was my father. Yeah. Like my oldest brother, Jeff, he, both of my, I just lost my second brother um, just a few months ago. And we all came from the same cloth, unfortunately. And um, the heaviness of it is that we were all in the same situation. Only when I was in it, I didn't realize they were in it. And How so? since they've passed, I've kind of been putting the pieces together. Well, like my brother who just passed away, the one that's just one year older than me. Um, uh, he mentioned to me in recent years that he was messed with hmm. by my dad. And he wouldn't ever express anything that happened to him, but he was also a musician. And uh, some of his old bandmates gave me some of his songs and his words and stuff. And I was reading them and I'm like, oh my God, you know, it was just like, uh, how did I not see this? And I'm, you know, so we all kind of lived the same life. And um, I think that my oldest brother, Jeff, messed with my brother Steve and me. I mean, I'm just putting it all together now, but it was very, it's really even hard to even think about, but um, that time was just so dark. But my brother, my oldest brother was sort of like the delinquent of the family, sneaking out the window, stealing the car and wrecking it, always had problems. And he never got the help he needed and he was clearly abused. 
Um, and then it was like a domino effect. And um, I asked my oldest brother many times, you know, he said that he was abused, but he would never tell anybody who it was. You would never believe who he would say, but he would never come out and say who it was. So that's why it's so important for us to talk oh, about it because gosh, there's right? still people that, that, that don't believe that females, you know, can abuse and they see the teacher having sex with this dude and they're like, oh, that little guy's lucky. And I just think, man, we got so far to go. Oh, we got my so gosh. far to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it breaks my heart from the standpoint that they didn't, I mean, I think everyone has a hard time speaking about abuse or the, the abuse, especially you know, when the it's shame incest. thing especially you were talking about. Especially when it's incest. Especially when it's incest. But not only that, but being a man in today's society. I mean, first of all, they, I mean, I think that my son is being raised to be able to speak about that stuff, but it's a different world 40 years ago, you know, and they had no voice whatsoever. You know, they were not, especially if it was my father, you know, cause there's so many, um, things that they would have feared, you know, I can't even think about a word. I can't think of a word that would express how confused I was because my father, my father was the person you'd sit next to and was like the nicest person in the whole wide world. And everyone who knew my father, my father would give you the shirt off of your back. And yet he did this to me. You know, I mean, when I think of the times it happened and just like how disturbing it was, not just that it was disturbing, but I mean, I've never been able to talk about like just certain aspects of it because it's just, I don't even know what to say. It was just so wrong. I mean, just the things you would say to your child and you're molesting them and you know, um, once my brother was molesting me and my dad came home and he walked in the door and I'm like freaking out anyway. And then my dad comes in the door and I'm caught doing something I didn't want to happen. And then my dad takes me into his room and molests me. So that is the level of absolute disbelief. Like I still can't believe it. And it happened to me. Like, I can't imagine how deeply the message has been buried inside you that you don't matter and you're an object. Oh my God. Are you kidding? Yeah. I, I was, I was afraid to walk around with anything that would show any part of my body. I was, you know, my mother would say, why are you wearing, you've got such a beautiful body. Why aren't you, why don't you wear, you know, clothes She had no idea any you. of this was going on. Um, she didn't, um, she, she she wasn't really available. I believe had she been more present, my mother had a lot of uh, uh, illness and, you know. Uh, she a caretaker? She was, was she a caretaker? Yeah. No, no. Everybody was her caretaker. I see. Yeah, I would walk by her door like on the way out to play, sneaking by just so she didn't see me and ask me to rub her feet, you know. It was like, <laughs> oh, my God, you know, she, she, she was always in there going, oh, oh. Hand you know, to forehead. Yes, hand to forehead. Um, one of the things I'm reading in this book by by uh, John Bradshaw is how we assume roles. Um, could you define what role it was that, that you kind of played in your family to keep the the sickness frozen, to keep there from, to keep things 
in their sick status quo because that's what I understand from from the more I learn about the family dynamic is you know let's say a parent is unavailable mm-hmm. um, then oftentimes the 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 parent that isn't getting the intimacy gets it from their child and then mm-hmm. that child becomes the parent to that parent mm-hmm. and then the other sibling becomes jealous of their relationship and so they get attention by acting out and mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. negative attention but at least it's attention and that's just kind of an example of what I'm learning, how things shift and people begin to assume these roles and because the shame is buried and nobody talks about it, you continue playing these roles and nobody grows and you become lonelier and more filled with with shame. Is there, could you put into words the role that that you played? That I played. Um, I was the keeper of the secret and uh, I was... The role I played was the dynamic of my family is that both of my brothers were affected by the abuse as I was, but they let it get to them and became, you know, rebellious, juvenile, delinquent, smoke and pot, crashing cars you know, calls in the middle of the night, you know, and I was the person who had to keep the shit together. I was the person that had to make everybody happy. I was the person that had to finish high school because neither one of my brothers graduated. I was a person who had to apply to college, even though it was never even mentioned in my family. Are Are you a perfectionist? I'm not. Well, hmm. I was before I got chronic fatigue, <laughs> <laughs> but now I just, I have no energy to be perfect. Yeah. I think that, yeah, um, I think I'm more of a, I was more of a control freak than a perfectionist. Um, just, From what I understand, they're very closely related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I was the one who just didn't want to let my parents down because they had already been let down. Um, protective. Um you know, tell on my dad, I'm telling on myself. Tell on my brother, I'm telling on myself. How so? How so? You know, if I were to tell anyone about the abuse. Oh, because you would feel judged yeah. that, that I you, felt were, like it was, you were dirty or... Oh, God. I thought it was... Oh, yeah. I thought I'd totally be telling on myself. Um, obviously, it's affected my sexuality. I, for the longest time, when I became sexually active... Um, uh, I've never connected. I mean, it was just something you did to please other people. Um, and, uh, you know, as I got older and demanded more for myself and got uh, healthier, I, um, I, I, I did start to connect. But I think for me, I don't know that I'll ever truly have an intimate um and physical connection at the same time. I so relate to that. Yeah, it's not fair because I'm, I'm, I'm so uh, emotional. That it's such a big important part of of who I am. So, um, yeah. I, it, Did you go through um, areas of um, times of being completely shut down or very promiscuous? 
where it was somebody that you didn't feel respected by right. or you gave in to them because you just wanted to please them. Did a lot of that. Okay. Um, I said yes when I wanted to say yeah. no Obje- a million times. Objectifying yourself, I oh, think, is I like I objectified the, myself up yeah. one side and down the other. Does it? Clearly. Does it? You're doing it for love. Are you doing it because it's more sexually pleasurable to to feel that safety of that person not wanting intimacy with you? No, it's checking out. I become frozen. Like when you know, if I were on a date and you know it got to that point, I would just I would do it whether I wanted to or not because I part of me would freeze just like I did when I was being molested. Again, a people pleaser, you know, it's like, it wasn't about me. It was about what other people wanted from me. And, and yeah. were you even conscious that you deserved more? I would always feel bad and I would get better at not doing that. Eventually I didn't do that. Um, what do you, owe there was that? a learning curve for me. What do you owe that to just uh, kind of a graduating self-awareness and sick of feeling sick? Uh, yeah, that and therapy. Um, well, no, that's not true. I didn't have therapy back then. Um, I would say that I just had a thirst for things being better. I just, uh, I just, I got tired of feeling that same feeling I had when I was being molested and, uh, tried to put myself less and less in the situations. You know, I, I I consider myself self-schooled in so many levels. Um, And, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of discipline when I was growing up. I mean, I would discipline myself. You know, I'd ask too much of my parents and then I'd say, that's unreasonable, you know. And I I think I just got tired of feeling that way and and needed to make it better and slowly but surely did. Who was the first person you told your secrets to? I think when I was in high school, I might have mentioned it to a good friend of mine. How'd they react? Um, you know what? Maybe, you know, I don't, mm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm trying to remember telling her. I just have a feeling that I told her, but I don't remember the actual like telling her so was it kind of you hinted at it and she I didn't think really I probably respond. hinted at it yeah. and it kind of got brushed over somehow that sounds pretty normal yeah to me that's because... why it's hard for me to remember the event but I do remember you know trying to tell people many I, times <laughs> I, I think for most of us we ease into it because we don't really have clarity on so many aspects of it we're afraid of phrasing it wrong because it's such a heavy, a heavy thing. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. and we're afraid of their eyes popping open and we don't know how they're going to react. We didn't know how to react. How the fuck right. are we going to be able to predict how they're going to react? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I think the second person that I told was my brother. And I think I told him later and he said, you already told me. <laughs> and this his, is the younger brother. This is the brother that's closest to me. Yeah, and and he he did not uh, do anything to you. No, he was the, the the only person in my family who was clean, who I had a normal relationship with. And uh, since his passing a few months ago, it's been kind of looming in my mind. He unfortunately, like my uh, older brother, um, drank themselves 
to death. And, uh, and yeah, so I've just lost my train of I'm thought. So, I'm so sorry, man. Um, I bet in many ways that, that saved your opinion of, of men between him and the, and the male next door neighbor. Um, oh yeah, know. there, there were, there were a couple of people that I really, uh, had normal, healthy examples of what it was supposed to be like. Yeah. We're going to uh, take a little pause here and give some love to a new sponsor of ours, uh, GoDaddy.com. Put your website to work while you play. You know, a website works 24-7 so that no matter what you're doing uh, or where you are, people can still find you online. I like to think of it as a uh, a website, as a tiny little Dairy Queen that never closes. That's just me. Um, so why not put a website together? You got a good idea out there. You know, you want to post... Uh, I don't know, pictures of your feet, which sounds like a terrific idea to me. Nobody else is. Actually, somebody somebody has probably done it somewhere. Uh, but uh, start building your website. Go to uh, GoDaddy.com. It starts with a, a .com domain. And enter the promo code MENTAL199 at your checkout uh, to get your .com for just a buck ninety nine. That is really uh, inexpensive, I got to say. As somebody who has bought a lot of uh, domain names, in my lifetime. When I first started buying domain names back in uh, the mid to late 90s, they were 70 bucks a piece. Buck 99. I'm a little pissed off about that. Anyway, some limitations apply. Uh, See the website for details. Go to uh, GoDaddy, uh, uh, GoDaddy.com and uh, enter promo code MENTAL199 at checkout. And uh, as I said, some limitations apply. See the website for details. Talk about the first time you unloaded this in therapy. Mm, I'm assuming you have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've had way too much therapy. Um, There's never enough therapy. Don't get me wrong. Um, Therapy is very, 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 it was saved my life. Uh, When I unloaded it in therapy, I had waited until I pretty much had a nervous breakdown to get help. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You get more bang for your buck. Totally. So it just came flying out of my mouth. Um, yeah, I, I I got married when I was 24. And, you know, they say that when you go through marriage or do one, something big like that, that stuff you've been pushing down all of a sudden just flies out. And there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Well, that was pretty much what happened to me. And I didn't sleep for days. I couldn't sleep. I was hyperventilating and... Uh, I finally had to go into an emergency session with a psychologist. And the first one that I saw, um, you know, someone having never been to a therapist, I was, you know, a little freaked out to begin with. But she just went straight for the jugular and started having me pretend that she was my father. And what would I say? You know, so it was a really scary experience. So do you think it was good that she did that? um, Not straight off the bat. I mean, I was kind of in crisis mode. I was already like, uh, I was already fireworks were going, you know, I was I I I think we could have had a few sessions first. Did you feel um, empathy from her? Did it feel overly intellectual? Because it sounds to me like she went right to the intellectual place. Well, you know, the the role-playing is scary. 
I don't know that it was intellectual. It was just like, I don't want to go back there. Right now, I'm already in overload. So to me, it wasn't, it, it was just too much. Felt like you were being pushed. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I, it was just way too much. I think that's the hallmark of a great therapist is to nudge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was, I had never mm-hmm. seen a therapist. It was my first time even seeing her. And I mean, it just wasn't a good match. Yeah. I mean, she, she, I'm sure is a wonderful therapist. I ended up finding someone, you know, as many of us have to try many different people and, and getting the right person who, who helped me reparent myself into the person that I am today. But, um, but that first time going to a therapist was quite dramatic. Yeah. I I would imagine it could sour when somebody pushes like that. It could sour a lot of, a lot of people. And there's like a, when I've had a good therapist, it's this sense you don't sense like a good director in a movie. You don't sense mm-hmm. their hand. Mm-hmm. You don't. You just feel like you're discovering all of this on your own. They're they're almost what their their technique is invisible. Oh yeah, there's there's very little talking and more like you said prodding, more yeah. um, just letting what needs to come out come out naturally in its own time. And I think sometimes it's just with their eye contact, a, a kind facial expression. Mm-hmm sitting in in silence and yeah. just giving you a warm uh, i feel you smile oh gosh yeah i mean i i my daughter has selective mutism and i had to find a therapist for her and that was the biggest thing for me is just the person's general feel yeah like you know credentials are important but um it was really important for me to find someone who was really going to be loving and gentle and open and you know so i i think that's at least for me that's a huge yeah, i don't thing. know if you can teach empathy i don't know um, mm. maybe it can be honed i i don't know um i think people tra- have been through what we've been through yeah. have empathy um my husband calls it my special power i'm a little i'm a little too empathetic at times mm. um but yeah empathy is an, an important Thing if you're going to be a therapist, I think. What is selective mutism? Selective mutism is actually an anxiety disorder where um, the result is you don't speak to people you don't know. And so, in fact, I had it when I was little. And again, I attributed that to my shyness from just being abused. But it's kind of like the deer in headlights thing when you're asked a question in class and the person just goes blank. That's, that's um, an anxiety shut down fight or flight kind Mm. of response um basically there's a scale of one to ten how you handle um stressful situations and we usually you know go from one to ten gradually um so we don't get to ten but she goes from one straight to ten like when she was younger and she would uh it would just be always on ten and then she wouldn't talk to people outside of the family what did did you ever feel like you were looking at a little version of yourself? Oh my god, yes. What would yeah. that feel like? Um Well, uh what did it feel like? I well, I felt bad for her. And I but I also felt like I was in a position to really help her because I had felt that way and I actually knew how she was feeling. 
Um, so it, it, it was hard for me because I didn't want to have given her this or had a child who had to struggle in any way. Um, but on the flip side, I was grateful that I, I knew what to do on certain uh, level and also wanted to, I, I wasn't going to let it go. You know, a lot of kids who have selective mutism and they're just told, oh, they're just shy. And the problem with selective mutism is that it affects your ability to learn, not because you're not smart, but because you're afraid to speak up. You've got to go to the bathroom. You can't tell anybody you have to go to the bathroom. You want to ask it, a question to clarify something? No, yeah. it's just, you know, it's so those kids really, really, really need um, the support and we, we flew to New York to get it and, uh, she's doing great, but that's awesome. Yeah. Talk about chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue is like the biggest mind fuck because it's one minute you feel normal and the next minute you feel like you weigh like three tons and you can't move a limb. Um, there, it's very, very difficult to make plans, you know, like, uh, especially being involved with the school. I always wanted to volunteer for this or, or that, you know, then the day would come and I'd have to cancel because I couldn't get out of bed. Um, so it's really, it just makes your life really hard to manage. Did it ever... F- have you ever felt like the burden of responsibility triggers it sometimes like almost like it shows up when it at at the worst time that it should show up or does it feel unrelated oh sometimes i feel like that absolutely i mean um uh, i was afraid i'd feel that way today mm-hmm. in fact you know I, coming in here i I'm, feel i feel that way with with depression like uh-huh. um when i'm needed to have the most energy and vitality is right. when I want to nap the most. But I'm sorry I interrupted you. Were, you were no, not at all. I I agree. Uh, I also feel that way. I um, um, I feel like yeah. Why today? Yeah, of all days. Do you ever you just? I just can't predict that. But sometimes it does feel like it coincides a little too often with with the days where the, something important is happening. Do you ever feel like your uh, your cup is overflowing with responsibility outside of your responsibilities to yourself? Like you like you feel overwhelmed now as a as a mother and a and a wife. My God, who who doesn't feel mm-hmm. that? But right. um, I feel like that's an important thing to talk about because um, yeah, I I feel less than all the time. I am constantly running behind. I am constantly relying on my husband. I am constantly feeling bad and beating myself up for not being able to do what needs to be done around the house or just, you know, looking at the dishes sitting in the sink and knowing my husband's going to come home from work and having a long day and that's going to be what he's going to see. I, see. I do that every day. I mean, <laughs> every day it's, it's, you know, I just, uh, I can't, I, I can't let go of beating myself up over it despite not having any control over it. Do you ever stop and have empathy for yourself and say, look what you've been through. Look at, look at 
no. the ringer you've been put through. Look at what is on your plate. I mean, if your plate were like one of those barbecue paper plates, it would be <laughs> an inverse taco shell. It would be, it would be inside out on the floor. Um, no, not a lot. I really beat beat myself up a lot. That's just my biggest downfall. Is I think that no matter how much I've been through or how much I've done. I always look at what it is I haven't done and that what I'm not able to accomplish for my children or I have a really, my sense of that is very askew and uh, it's hard for me to, that uh, again is on my uh, list of stuff that I brought is that, you know, my fear of never being able to see never having the positive outweigh the negative or never, you know, I, I think that is related to kids who had to parent a parent because we I think we became so attuned to fixing disasters and making things right. We mm-hmm. never got to stop and appreciate what was right. It was always uh, we become like this radar for what needs to be fixed. Oh, yeah. I was just talking uh, to my husband about that earlier today because I was in anticipation of coming here, he was reminding me about my superpower, the the empathy. And then I was saying, well, you know, the empathy comes from knowing, needing to know at all times how everybody in the room is feeling. Who's in a bad mood? Who's in a good mood? You need to stay clear. You know, I was always assessing what was going on. So I have a really good sense of, you're upset mm-hmm. or, you know, I have a radar, a emotional radar. And, um, and that's more important than how I feel is how everybody else feels. Do you ever find yourself being disingenuous or manipulative so that you can, um, keep being the nice person and, and not be judged, uh, by other people? That's another thing I'm reading in this book, and I I heavily identified with it because I'm like, my my need to be the nice guy sometimes is almost almost um, pathologic to where mm-hmm. I will like uh, manipulate the way I say things, or um, and maybe it's why I'm so hard on myself at other times is because. I feel like a fraud. Like I mm. feel like mm-hmm. um, I'm just trying to appear good mm-hmm. in front of you. I really want to turn and leave this conversation, but I'm. It's not. It's not always, but there are times, and and it and it. It's. It's something I wasn't aware of until I, until I started um, reading about it and identifying mm-hmm. with it. And I think a lot of us people pleasers. Right. And kids that parented, um, I think we can become sometimes become disingenuous and manipulative. Is that is that ring any bells or is that um, actually kind of the opposite for me? I am afraid of being disingenuous, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I I kind of invert that and like it's really hard for me to like hear people give me compliments. Or, you know, I I am so afraid of being disingenuous that I, got, I can't even 
think of what to say right now. I'm sorry, I'm blanking out. Um, <laughs> I'm having one of those moments. Um, disingenuous to me is like, if I'm disingenuous, then I'm going to feel bad about myself. Mm -hmm. So I go out of my way to be, oh gosh, I, I can't figure out what I want to say here. Um, let me let me clarify because I didn't phrase my question. Okay, it's not a conscious dis, disingenuousness. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. It's after the fact you realize, oh, I didn't want to let that person down. I didn't really speak up for what I was feeling. I was just trying to placate everybody else. Oh. I was trying to portray. Um, that, that, you, this, that this doesn't bother me right. or I was afraid that this person was going to feel um, bad about themselves. So I didn't really let them know that they had hurt me or. Um, okay, then definitely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rings bells. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Definitely going off for sure. Um, but also trying to make myself appear appear better not lying but um yeah, maybe um, withholding not wanting certain to things. yeah i i uh, absolutely i do that all the time um i commit to things that i know i can't commit yes. to to people that you don't want to be around oh gosh yeah um i've done that um many times because, because maybe you're afraid that that they're not going to like you and they're going to talk to other people that's a oh that's yeah. one that i get all the time oh. and i say i'm being so false oh yeah i don't like this person oh yeah well you know that's 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 definitely one of my current struggles and yeah i'm sorry i misunderstood you before i didn't phrase it very no well. that's okay i um I that's definitely one of my struggles speaking my truth and making sure everybody's on the same page because yeah it's I'm so afraid of people not being happy with what I have to say that I don't always speak my truth and it's not fair to anybody no and one of the things that that um this book talks about, and I'm sorry if I keep harping on this book, but it's it's just blowing my mind, is he mm -hmm. says that you deny that person the experience of getting Absolutely. to learn when they have mistreated you. Absolutely. It's true. Let's get back to the um, the chronic fatigue. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the things that you shared with me in your email and you started to talk about was letting people down, having to cancel on these things. Yeah. Fin finish that, um, talking about that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it just goes back to the sense of self and feeling like I'm not really um, contributing. Um, people don't, people are going to stop asking you if you have to keep canceling. And with chronic fatigue, you really don't have the benefit of being able to plan ahead. You don't have the luxury of knowing how you're going to feel in a week or two weeks or a month from now. So, um, that is the hardest thing for me to reconcile because I don't like letting people down anyway. You must be so anxious about your schedule. <laughs> I can't imagine. So I just, well, you know, the first, the first year or two that I had this full fledged and was realizing how often I was canceling on people at school for this or that. I just realized that I needed to stop being a people pleaser. It really has been good for me in some ways because I've, I've, I hate saying that because, you know, there's nothing good about chronic fatigue, but, but in terms of managing it, it's, it's, it's made me dig a little deeper into, 
you know, how are you going to deal with this? You can't keep on with the same patterns you've had, you know, of trying to avoid upsetting people because you just don't, you, there's just no way you can keep this up. This is, you know. Do you ever wonder if it's like your body's way of sending up an SOS totally. flare to your oh, soul? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I do. I do all the time. I just think there's more connections with my psyche and my body. I mean, I'm sure that it's connected somehow. Um, what's the What's the deepest trauma work that you've ever done? Have you ever, like, um, you know, taken a bat to a, a, a bag and pounded on it? No, I haven't. Um, I would be, sounds awesome. I would though. be really interested. To, have you ever contacted a, a therapist who specializes in deep in, trauma? Um, I haven't. I did once. Um, I did once do like uh, body work with with someone, and it was quite frightening. Was it Jane Fonda? <laughs> no, it wasn't Jane Fonda. Was it an older reference? <laughs> <laughs> no, but. It was so traumatic because she's basically working your body and having therapy at the same time, trying to connect your body with your mind. I've heard about mind. that. It was pretty freaky. Did you not like it? It was sort of like being in the room with the therapist who was asking me to role play with, with her. It was a little overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I was better for it, but it was really hard to go through. Sort of like group thera yeah. therapy for incest survivors. Now, that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. How so? Ever. How so? <sighs> wow. Listening to all those stories and comparing yourself to them. And it just was heartbreaking. I mean, it was just so heavy and so hard. Like, it's hard enough to take yourself into a therapist and talk about what you've experienced. But when you're in a group of eight to 10 other women who have been abused and violated in so many different ways. That um, didn't make you feel less alone? Well, it did on one hand, but I also compared myself. Like, I have a I've always had this thing, well, mine wasn't so bad, you know, at least I wasn't, you know, killed or, you know, forcibly raped at knife point or, you know, I constantly compare myself How, to, uh, and, and I'm, I know, I know, <laughs> I know what I'm, I know what you're saying, because right. I do the same thing, but yeah. I feel like mine truly ranks at the bottom of seriousness yeah. Yeah. and i hear somebody like you and i'm like yours is at the top of seriousness mm. how could you look at anybody else's mm. and and I say know. that i hear these stories and i they i just i feel like some of the stories i hear i wouldn't have been able to survive what these people have survived and it just seems so much worse from what i've been through i know i minimize I, my experiences all the time it must be that we detached in the moment I, maybe I totally detached. I don't know about you, but I you, I was in La La Land. Let me just remind you, <laughs> your brother was molesting you. Yeah. Your dad walked in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And took you to another room and molested you. Yeah. How does it get any any worse than that? And asked me if this is what he was doing to me. Yeah. It was pretty fucked how, up. How, how does, does it get it any get, worse than that? I don't know. Because it's not about, you yeah. know, what orifice... It's right, it's right. it's how much of a piece of meat you were treated as, oh God, how much yeah. your humanity was denied. I think I'm still really detached from that. Like I can tell that story over and over again, and yeah, I get I'm getting heavier as I'm sitting here talking to you about it. But I there's a, still a lot of detachment. I mean, how could there not be? 
I mean, it's, I mean, I, I know, you know, intellectually that that's so twisted, but to actually be in it and to, I wish I had a baseball bat and a, and a bag <laughs> in this room right now. So I could, I know, just let you wail away. At I it. know it's crazy, right? I would, I, I would love to see you go do some type of anger release trauma work and mm. then email mm. us and let us know <laughs> okay. what happens. That's a good idea. And I hope that's not me being being pushy like that. No, I hey, I'm I'm open to all suggestions. Absolutely. Yeah, I love other people's perspectives and and I I'm going to yeah. do it. Okay. Why not? I would love that. I could use it. I'd love to I'd love to hear how that goes. <laughs> Have you done it? Uh, I've let a lot of anger out. I said the word "cunt" so many times in in therapy, <laughs> That's not the same. and um, uh, I've cried a lot. Um, but I've never, I've never hit the bag, and maybe I should. Yeah, maybe we should get a gym membership. I was just gonna say, maybe you should have like a mental. Okay. Is there a creepy podcast, parents survivor um... of creepy parents gym <laughs> that we can? That we you know, can it's really to? funny because when I used to, before I was married, uh, I had a girlfriend, and and I, she had some family issues, something about a mother with lithium, um, but she and I worked downtown in San Francisco, and we used to just sit there and plot about how we were going to start a gym with padded cells. So during our lunch break, we would just go fucking nuts. Just And we thought, wow, this could really be a good business idea. Because mm-hmm. um, we used to share, you know, our some of our dysfunctional history. And boy, I think that might be a, a good business idea for somebody. I would go. Yeah. I think I would go, especially if they had something you could hit in there. Yeah. You know? What do you call it? Just F- saying. Fuck you, you motherfucker. <laughs> fuck you, you motherfucker. <laughs> that would be, yeah, you know. How awesome would that be, too, if you had a boss or a coworker that was imagine? an asshole to just go in there for an hour oh, and just yeah. let loose? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Um, that- any anything else about the the uh the chronic fatigue? Um anything that that that, that helps you? Anything that you're partner what what are some ways that you cope that you've learned how to um, s- um survive with it well i've had to eventually be easier on myself i'm hard on myself how dare you <laughs> you sicken me i know i think that is the biggest key for me i really just had to call uncle i just had to say I can't drive the kids to the Exploratorium on Friday. I can't commit to anything until the last minute. And if you can deal with that, then if I'm feeling good on that day, I'm more than happy to help. Uh, That was a really hard point for me to get to. How did your husband handle it when you said that? That's what he was telling me all along. He's always right. Did you hear that? You're always (laughs) right. Um, You know, he's... He's um he's such a support for me. Not only does he come home and do those dishes that have been sitting in the sink, but I mean, he's constantly encouraging me to do things for myself and to not say I'm sorry to him. That is just something I can't stop doing because I feel so bad for not being the person that he married and not being able to do everything he probably thought I was going to be able to do. You know, he gets his light, his eyes light up whenever we all get on a bike. His thing is biking. He bikes everywhere. 
And if we're all on a bike, you know, just going into the panhandle or something, he's just, he's able to take those small little beautiful things and get such joy out of them. And he's teaching me that too, because that's another thing from my history. It's really hard to stop and smell the roses. You know, I go a million miles an hour and ask myself, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why can't you get those dishes done? That's all I do every day, you know? So he, he, he's kind of my calming. I think one of the greatest challenges is to feel okay about ourselves, regardless of what we're doing or accomplishing mm-hmm. just by yeah, being that's a hard just, lesson for me. Just say, you yes. know what? The universe created me. Um, I'm okay exactly mm-hmm, as I mm-hmm. am, even if I'm, I'm, I'm fucking up mm-hmm. and it's the hardest thing in the world, but the glimpses of it that I've had when I do have those moments are, um, so beautifully simple mm-hmm. and and peaceful but it's mm-hmm. it's really hard to get there especially when there's shame when there's shame bound to our our core mm-hmm. um letting go that's like my tagline on all this i'm a songwriter and and i find myself using the word heart and the phrase let it go more often than anything mm-hmm. um but letting it go, that's like, I think that's one of my biggest challenges in life is letting it go, just taking a deep breath and not letting it bind you up into this, you know, doing the white knuckle on the steering wheel kind of thing when you don't even realize it. Let's do um, anything else before uh, we do. Did you, did you do any uh, fears or, I or loves? Okay. I did a lot of them. Um. I'm going to be doing my dog Herbert's uh, fears and loves. Really? That's pretty know. cool. <laughs> I'm just going to make them up as we go. Oh, I love it. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. So you want to go first? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, I'm afraid that uh, my teeth are never going to be as brown as I hope they'll be. <laughs> okay. I um, I fear that these fears aren't good enough for your podcast. That's a great one. Uh, and maybe I'll in- interject some of my fears and loves too. Um, I'm, I'm going to do one of mine. I'm afraid that people are tired of me talking uh, about sexual abuse on this podcast, and in particular, me talking about my story. I fear what people think of me. Um... I fear that not only do people uh, think negatively about me, but even worse, it's people that used to think positively about me, and I've lost them. It's so easy for me to empathize with you here right now when I hear you say that, but it's so hard for me to turn that around and empathize with myself. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Isn't that the truth? That's yeah. That seems to be like the crux of the struggle. Yeah. Um, I fear that my children will be fucked up despite how hard I try to make their lives lives normal. Uh, I'm going to do one of Herbert's. I fear they're going to put that goddamn cone on my head again. (laughs) (laughs) You must have a big dog. Uh, No, he's a a, one's medium sized. Ivy is medium sized and Herbert is a little guy. He's like 15 pounds. And you put a big old cone on his head? Well, no, they have have, uh, different sizes for it. I'm just thinking of like one of those traffic. Yeah, when the allergies are bad, he uh, (laughs) he 
Oh, gets, those gets, cones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those cones. I'm like thinking you think construction. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking construction, a bright orange yeah. cone. Uh, anyway, I fear that like the rest of my family, my history will ultimately be too much to overcome. And I will never reach my potential. Oh, my God, do I have that one. That mm. is, if you could sum up my greatest fear mm. in, in one sentence. So that, that ditto, that's my fear. Back to you. Cool. All right. Um, I kind of already said that fear about the positive aspects, not overshadowing the negative ones. Um, I fear that I'm letting my children down every day because of my depression and chronic fatigue. I'm going to do one of Herbert's. I am afraid that I'm never going to burrow my tongue deep into Paul's ear uh, when he's sleeping uh, again with pure satisfaction. <laughs> I like that one. Um, you're making me want to do one for my dog. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was good. Um, I'm just going to say a fear that I'm having right this moment. Um, I fear that I completely fucked up this podcast. Oh my God. I was just thinking as we were wrapping up, what a beautiful, what a beautiful, uh, episode. What a, and then I was so glad that you contacted me. So, Aww. yeah. Um, Thanks. It, you know, it's, it's one of those episodes where I was like, I know the listener got something good out of this. And the selfish part of me is I feel less alone. I feel like, <sighs> oh, somebody else knows. Hmm. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. You've quelled my fear. Yeah. It's your turn. <laughs> um, I'm going to do one of Ivy's. I fear that uh, Herbert is going to continue to get the bulk of the attention around the podcast and nobody will get to see how pretty I am. <laughs> oh. um, let's see. These are so boring. You want to go to Love's? Hit, I fear hit. that I will just this last one, because I think this is really important. Mm -hmm. I know I brought it up before, but I'm just going to repeat it is that I fear that I will never be able to intimately and emotionally be vulnerable at the same time. That's that was a big one for me. Yeah. What can I ask you where you go to in your head? Is it you think of a fantasy that has nothing to to do with? Cause I don't really want to admit sometimes where I go. <laughs> Um, well, obviously we all have fantasies. Yeah. And, and I think that's, yeah. that's normal, especially yeah. when you've been in a relationship for a yeah. long time and, and it can be healthy to talk about that. I talk about it sometimes with my yeah. wife. I'll say, here's what I'm thinking about right now. And that feels like a way to right. kind of bridge the gap between being in my head and not being mm -hmm. present is to invite mm -hmm. her into that. But sometimes I get so tired of mm -hmm. her knowing that I'm going to this old chestnut, you know? Right, right, right. Um, um, well, I, I sometimes go to a place where I'm being violated. I do too. I'm so glad you said that. I, one of the most powerful fantasies. That was really scary to say. It was the first time I admitted it. Um, I have a very strong fantasy about being 11 years old again and being in a non-sexual -sexu situation where an older female turns it sexual yes. and mm -hmm. abuses her, her power. 
And it's one of the most powerful things. Um, it makes sense, though, because, you know, when your body responds when you're being abused, that's teaching you something. That's teaching your body something. Mm-hmm. That you're being, you're reacting, you're being aroused in an inappropriate situation is a body memory, right? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And from the surveys that I've read and the people that I've talked to, um, it's a great source of shame with them, and it's as common as any other thing. I've never admitted that before. Really? Not even to my husband. Well, that's... that's. Um, I, I hope that the two of you can um, explore that together, because he sounds well, I, like a really, really is, open guy. and a good guy. Um, I haven't explored that one necessarily yet, because I'm out, outwardly, mm-hmm. um, I think because my wife has such um, hatred for my mom, mm. and that I think anything that reminds her, anything that would bring my mom right. into the bedroom, even though the fantasy is not about her doing mm-hmm. it to me it's clear that that's what it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm afraid. Mm. I'm afraid to to go there. Mm. Um, because even if she said it's okay to talk mm-hmm. about that, I would feel like she wasn't being truthful right. with me. And any, I don't want to feel any shame right. in that in that situation but um i get that yeah we are definitely not alone in that and i and i don't think i would have the ability to admit that on the podcast if i wasn't sure that that was the case cool thanks yeah i feel i feel i feel i don't know Lighter, lighter. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, that's okay. To... That's, that's that's another thing with chronic fatigue. The word finding thing. Mm-hmm. That's a side effect, like the brain fog. The brain gets fuzzy. Oh, totally. That's why I was I was doing that a lot. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm glad I said it. Yeah. Thanks. Let's go to loves. Loves. Okay. I love those moments when I find my grounding, I am able to find my grounding and enable to let go of control instead of letting it build into chest crushing anxiety. I like that phrase, chest crushing anxiety. That's awesome. Yeah, that's where I carry mine. I love moments when somebody says something, uh, shares something with me for the first time. And uh, it's like one of the greatest privileges in life because it's like I must be doing something right that somebody feels safe enough around me to mm-hmm. to um, to share that. That's like you're definitely doing you know. a lot right for sure. Uh, I love the sights, sounds, and smells of walking the streets in New York. The vigor of when you get to your hotel room in New York. Mm-hmm. It's like what, whatever the opposite of needing a nap is, mm-hmm. that's what I feel when I... I also feel... I feel that actually even more when I'm in San Francisco and Seattle and Port, oh, Portland. Those three cities, I just feel mm. like... 
oh my God, I, I just want to go get espresso mm-hmm. and just go to all the independent mm-hmm. bookstores and just see all the There's not enough time. counterculture people. Yeah. And yeah, I just... Uh, yeah. And now I'm hating myself for using the phrase counterculture people. I sound like a, <laughs> I never heard that one I sound like good. an old scientist. <laughs> um, go ahead, do another love. Do another love. Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel safe and loved when I think of my grandma Borkwin, who unknowingly kept me safe when she came to visit because she stayed in my room with me. I'm going to do one of Herbert's loves. I love when I'm getting my ass scratched and I'm able to show off my bottom row of baby corn teeth. (laughs) I love singing because it's the one place I know that I'm having a positive effect on people. I love having a conversation with a hardcore gang member who is finally ready to turn his life around and I can see his walls coming down and he talks about wanting to be a better man and to be there for his kids. Wow. Wow. I love watching my daughter with SM, selective mutism, forget herself in front of strangers and play and smile gleefully as if she were never afraid at all. I love the feeling uh, after I've biked up a really steep hill and I get to just enjoy the cruise down. Um, I love myself despite my darkness because I am loving, talented, and full of empathy for the world around me. I love uh, late Thursday night after I come home from my support group and I get a... I cook a frozen pizza, I pour a big glass of uh, hot tea, and I go through the surveys and arrange them in the order that I want to read them in, and I start um, doing the intros and outros to the podcast, and I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be in the universe, and and then I have a purpose. Hmm. Awesome. I love it when my kids open up to me about what they're feeling because then I feel like there's, there must be something I'm doing right. And that must be an awesome feeling. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that. That has to be like the, mm-hmm. the holy grail for a for a parent. Mm-hmm. It really is. It really is. Yeah. Give me one more. One more. Let's see. Ah, this is a good one. I love watching my husband defy his own past and becoming an amazing father despite not having one of his own. Wow. He really sounds like a great guy. He is a great guy. Yeah. He sent me a really sweet email right before we recorded. No, he didn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. (gasps) What did he say? He just said, you know, I want to thank you for having my wife on and... um, You know, it was just, it was short, but, but, but sweet. It was just clear that he, that you were in his thoughts and, um, and that he, he knew you were going to be a great, a great guest. So, and, and you were, and I really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Many, many thanks to, uh, to Pamela and, uh, 
she wanted to uh, to dedicate her episode to the to the memory of her uh, her brother Steve, um, and um, you know she wrote me a, a sweet email when I told her that her episode was going to be going up uh, tonight. She um, she said that she had talked to some of his um, former bandmates and they um, had just kind of talked about some of the lyrics that he'd written. And I think she, she touched on that in the podcast, but I think she's got some more clarity around it now and really believes that what she suspected had happened to him really had happened. And um, she feels like, um, like his, his story um, never got a light shined on it and his pain was never really, um, witnessed, and um, so I said, "Yeah, I would. Um, I would be happy to to mention that to the folks." And plus, the guy's name was Steve Martin. He was around in the seventies. I can't imagine how fucking tired he was of people asking him if he was a wild and crazy guy. I, I'm sorry that I had to add that, but it went through my head. And as you know, I often don't have an edit button. Before we get to the uh, some emails and listener surveys, I want to remind you guys, if you feel so inclined to support the show, uh, please go to the website mentalpod.com. You can make a one-time PayPal donation, or my favorite, means the world to me, is uh, signing up to become a monthly donor. It's super easy. You can do it for as little as five bucks a month, and it helps keep the show running. And um, you can also buy stuff at the uh, through the website. You can shop at Amazon through our website, through our search portal, and then Amazon will give us a couple of nickels, and it doesn't cost you anything. And that does add up. That does help um, uh, contribute to the show. So please, uh, all of those things, all of those things help. And um, you can help non-financially by spreading the word through social media. Um, that I really, really appreciate that. And going to iTunes, writing something nice and giving us a good rating, if you will. Uh, unless you would be lying. Unless you think this show is a piece of shit and I'm a charlatan. In which case, you know what I'm going to say. Go fuck yourself. No, I have compassion for you as a charlatan. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to hold space for your charlatanism. This is an email that I got from uh, our friend uh, Katla, who uh, is transgender. And I think we have uh, read uh, some of her surveys before on the show, like three of them, I think. But anyway, Katla wrote me and uh, she said, I've been listening to all the back issues and I just finished 96. I wanted to reply to the guy who wrote in to say that the people who aren't as fucked up shouldn't be on the podcast because I have a different perspective. Two of the things that have helped, uh, that have prevented me from getting help after I finally realized I need it are that I felt like I don't deserve help and I felt like my problems are too small to require help and that I should just, quote, suck it up and live my life. Without hearing the stories of people who aren't as fucked up, I probably would never have been able to reach out and ask for help. Thank you for saying that, Katla. And it is why we'll occasionally air an episode that is um, that is kind of um, less dramatic and more every day because I, I think it, that is important. This is from the being hospitalized survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Max. He's, uh, he's 17. And um, why were you hospitalized? My friends, uh, oh, not only was he hospitalized, but people in his life were hospitalized as well. He writes, my friends have been there for every reason under the sun from schizophrenia to PTSD to depression to anxiety. I was personally hospitalized for major depression with psychotic features. Um, by the way, psychotic features, that will that will run you extra. Um, 
After months of delusions and paranoia leading to intense suicidality and self-harm. Smart guy for 17. Suicidality. Um, Describe your experience. In many cases, I met people that changed my life for the better. In many cases, I met people uh, that made my time there uncomfortable and terrible. Overall, I believe I learned a lot about hitting bottom the freedoms and darkness in it. Wow, you are a profoundly um, emotionally intelligent person um, for 17 years old. I like your I like your chances, uh, Max. That's beautiful to read. That somebody can realize. I heard somebody say in a support group tonight. They said um, that recovery isn't. Um, I don't look I don't expect serenity from the storm. I expect serenity in the storm and um or I strive for I don't know what. I'm just man. Why why did I even <laughs> always when you're going to quote people, always make sure you're going to do it in a way that really kind of only half conveys it and is fumbly. This is an awful some moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Jim Pyre and uh He writes, I was teaching class, adults, and one of the women there had just had a baby. She was talking about uh, the strange symptoms uh, she was having. During the break, I hit the internet and found out she might be having heart complications from the birth. Uh, I ended class and took her to the hospital. I got in trouble at work, but uh, I deal with that a whole lot better. Um, I'm not sure. I think there's a typo here. With that a whole lot better when she returned Oh, I dealt with that a whole lot better when she returned from the hospital. She kept calling me her guardian angel. I couldn't take it. So I really began to avoid her. (laughs) I guess I take criticism better than compliments. Well, thank you for that, you stupid fuck. Sorry, I'm just trying to not make you uncomfortable. This is the Shame and Secret survey. I might have read this one already, but... It's um, it's such a compelling one, and I've corresponded uh, with with uh, her via email because she was considering coming uh, and being a guest on the show, and then backed out because she wanted she wanted um, some time to to work through her stuff. Um, anyway, here it is. It's uh, she calls herself a dual diagnosed marriage and family therapist, and. Um, She is straight in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment, and uh, she was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, My cousin molested me multiple times when he was put in charge of taking care of me. I repressed these memories for years up until I started going through my own therapeutic process. Uh, Did I realize I, I needed to repress these memories to simply survive? When I approached my father... Uh, this cousin is from his side of the family. He told me I was confabulating these memories, and if it did happen, I did something to provoke it. Your dad is a douche for doing that and using the word confabulating. Um, unless you were the one that used the word confabulating, in which case I feel terrible now. Um, I don't even know if you had said that's just actually that's me being insecure because I don't know what the word confabulating i wouldn't know what it meant out of the context of this and within that sentence i'm like oh it it means that you're making it up but um wow sometimes i'm so tired of my own opinion (laughs) um 
she's been physically abused. Uh, her mother was an extremely angry woman uh, with years of resentment and bitterness after my father left her for a younger version. He had 25 plus affairs over the 20 years they were married and I was daddy's little girl. That sentence alone sounds like a fucked up situation. Because my father showed me affection and not my mom, she physically abused me for years. She would corner me and hit me with metal pans, throw me down the stairs, and then tell me I deserved it for pitting my dad against her. With the emotional abuse... Uh, I do not know where to start. My biggest shame is that I feel I need to manipulate people in order for them to like me. I attribute this to the emotional abuse. Any positive experiences with your abusers? Yes, I still struggle with my mother. However, to her testament, she is a completely different person now than she was when I was growing up. I'm not sure what switched on the light for her, but something did. Although she is no longer physically abusive, the emotional abuse is still ever-present. She still believes she did not do the harm she did to me and has never admitted to it or apologized for it. Boy, that to me is just as toxic as if she was still hitting you. Maybe she's not hitting you because she's got a bad shoulder. Um, darkest thoughts. I'm a marriage and family therapist with a very successful private practice specializing in treating individuals diagnosed duly with mental illness and substance abuse. The truth here is that I am still in my illness and have to live with my hypocrisy daily. I need to drink in order to listen to clients and feel that what I say matters. I am not comfortable being vulnerable in that way and being sober. I also suffer from severe anxiety with panic disorder. My mother has diagnosed me as bipolar! Exclamation point. The greatest day of my life was opening my own practice to only find this has been my biggest downfall. I have no one holding me accountable and can do whatever I please in my own office, i.e. drinking. I am living with the daily fear that I am not enough and especially not enough if I'm sober. I worked at a residential rehab for years, and the disease stayed, quote, under control, but now it's like wildfire. Darkest secrets, I worthy and I am the most selfish person alive, and I will always hate myself for the person I am. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize about being raped, which I know is so fucked up, but I want to be wanted that badly by someone. Have you shared these things with others? No, I live in my own head. If I ever share these thoughts with anyone, I'd be exposed for the real person I am. That alone is terrifying to me. I also fear I cannot be truthful with my own therapist for fear of losing my license. How do you feel after writing this down? I feel that this is so cathartic. I haven't been able to say my truth in a very long time. Well, I'm so touched that you filled this out, and I think everybody listening to this just wants to reach out and hug you and say, man, you must be in so much pain. You must be in so much pain, and um, we're rooting for you. We're rooting for you. You know, you're a therapist. You know help is available. It's just overcoming that fear of asking for help and getting vulnerable. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Jay the Cat. She writes, My grandfather recently died from liver failure. While he was on his deathbed, my whole family was there. Everyone was crying, and my uncle particularly was crying so hard that it was funny. I started laughing, and then everyone else caught on and started laughing too. The nurse came in, and I bet she thought we were all heartless assholes. That's fantastic. Herbert? Herbert likes to dig to China when I uh, am doing the intros and outros to the podcast. 
He hasn't been able to get through the carpeting yet, though, so I, I don't like his chances. This is from the being hospitalized survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Kyle. Um, he, Kyle Williams, actually. He is uh, straight in his 30s. And why were you hospitalized? I took part in two inpatient drug trials at the National Institute of Health for persistent treatment-resistant depression and agoraphobia. I was there for seven months and had ketamine and scoptamine infusions. Describe your experience. Unfortunately, neither drug worked, but it was a transformative experience. I met others with similar experiences and learned coping strategy such as life charting, mindful meditation, and being honest and open with others about my illness. I made friends there that I will have for the rest of my life. I am far from cured, but I feel like a weight has lifted. I am no longer hiding in the shadows. Some people are born without limbs, others with horrible crosses to bear. I was born with a brain disorder and should not hide or feel shame about my condition. This is why I'm using my real name on this survey, and I would urge others to come out about their mental illness if they feel they can. We can stop the stigma by starting the conversation. Right on, Kyle. I want to put you on a poster. God bless you. God bless you. And uh, that's so awesome that you could that you could um, go through that and get that kind of clarity from uh, an experience that is so often negative for people. There's a lot of people that have really negative um, hospitalization uh, experiences, although I guess te- technically yours was a, a drug trial. Um, I tried drugs for about 40 years. <laughs> this is Shame and Secrets, and I'm just going to read a couple excerpts. This is from a woman who calls herself LLL, and she is straight in her 20s, raised in a totally chaotic environment. And um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. And regular listeners right now are going, oh, no, it counts. (laughs) I'd say out of the 500 that I've read, um, maybe two have been ones that, in my opinion, didn't count as, as sexually abusive. She writes, I slept over for the first time at my first serious boyfriend's place. I was a virgin and we had discussed that I wasn't ready yet to go all the way and that when I did, I wanted it to be special. Nothing happened until the morning. I was half asleep and I guess we were fooling around. To be honest, I can't really remember that well. I know that I wasn't entirely awake, but I was aware of the fooling around and enjoyed it. We'd done it before and discussed boundaries, so I didn't feel threatened, but suddenly his penis pushed inside me. My heart jumped through my throat and I hurled out of bed. He said it had just slipped in. I immediately took a shower. I cried for a full 30 minutes until the hot water ran out. It was a full decade before I learned that penises don't just, quote, slip in. I have trouble calling it rape, but all I know is that I did not expect or want it to happen, at least not then. And I wanted to read that because I... You know, I I think that's rape. And I think the conversation about rape needs to expand. It needs to be more frank and have more voices contribute to it so we can see all the different kinds of forms that it takes, that it can be somebody doing it that doesn't think it's, it's rape, but the person who's experiencing it, it feels like rape. I mean, the fact that you went and you cried for 30 minutes, that that alone is indication that you were, that you felt incredibly violated. Um, and I want to say, 
when I was in college, I would not have thought that that was rape. I would have thought, oh no, you know, once, it, you know, if she feels it coming in, then she'll be able to make a decision, but she needs to know, you know, what it what it feels like before she can make an educated decision. You know, unless she had said, you know, under no circumstances, get that thing anywhere near, you know, my vagina. But um, it it there's such a big, I guess what I want to say is there's such a big chasm between well-intentioned people who are clueless and victims or survivors, whatever you want to call them, who can't give credit or weight to what they're feeling because they haven't heard their story come out of other people's mouths. And so they doubt the veracity of their pain. And I just want to validate your your pain. Darkest Secrets. Uh, most of what I've already written, and she had a, an abusive, uh, abusive uh, upbringing. Um, a father who was a master manipulator and um, just a, a fucking complete narcissist. And uh, her darkest secret, I, I, this is what I really wanted to read too, is most of what I've already written about, uh, at least one person knows of, but there is one secret that I am too ashamed to admit to anyone. I'm pretty sure I am addicted to amphetamines. I started using them many years ago to help with school, as many kids do these days, but after a major depression breakdown last year, uh, I seem to need them. I can go without, but only if I don't have any. If they're around, I can't stop myself from popping them. For some reason, this particular habit feels immensely shameful. I'm afraid if I say th- see a therapist, I wouldn't even be able to tell her. Um, that actually wasn't the... I forgot to highlight the other thing, that which I wanted to read that because I have it highlighted. Um, and I think you should really try to find the strength to tell your therapist about that because they can't help you. But uh, this was the other thing uh, I wanted to read um, because it just struck me like a ton of bricks. Uh, She writes, Darkest Thoughts, um, that sometimes I feel reality slipping away. Sometimes the world doesn't seem real. I look in the mirror and while I recognize myself sometimes for just a moment, I can't identify with that reflection. Like an alien who's taken over a human body. Or I look at the things around me and see them as illusions. I know they're there and that everyone sees them, but I fear that I can see them down to the quantum level where nothing is what it seems. It's hard to describe and sounds even crazier written down. And even deeper than that, sometimes I wish I would just lose reality. Something about it is seductive and feels profound, and I think that if I could just let go of this world, then I wouldn't have to struggle so much. As if sanity is a burden. Wow, that is so deep. And I... I really felt you um, in in reading that, especially the part about looking at my reflection and just feeling like I'm not even real. And, you know, my thought was after reading all of the stuff that you've written about your father and him just being a manipulative a narcissist who only loved you conditionally, um, I thought, of course you're you're reflection doesn't feel real because you weren't mirrored as a kid and so your sense of self um is so fragile and so fleeting and that makes perfect sense to me and i just want to say you're you are not alone you are not alone in that by by any stretch of the imagination and um 
I think about that too, that we're all just atoms and, and our lives feel so real, but what if it's not as we think that it is? Oh, this is an awful moment filled out by, <laughs> I think, I think we read one of her things before. I'm not sure. Uh, shithead, she calls herself. Um, I think shithead and fuckface from the earlier survey should get together and start a really nice friendship. She is uh, a teenager and she writes uh, her awful moment. I I had to have been in third or fourth grade and there was this rusty old bike in the garage that was 10 times the size for someone my height. Anyway, kids are quite curious and ballsy, so I decided it was a bright idea to try to ride this bike in my bumpy backyard. I literally pedaled twice and then the chain fell off and everything locked. The handlebars went vertical and I fell sternum to handlebar, mind you I was an overweight kid, and lost every amount of air from my lungs and thought in my mind, well almost every thought, beside the fact that I'd felt like I'd been stabbed by the strongest superhuman with the end of a blunt pipe. And my mom comes by me screaming to get up and all I could think was I literally can't breathe. My chest is probably gaping, and you're yelling at me to get up, woman? But wait, it gets so much better. Turns out, not only did I break my ribs, but my head landed in my golden retriever's elephant-sized crap. So she continued to make me run inside and take a shower, then forced me to go tumbling with broken ribs and a severely bruised sternum, claiming it's just a bruise and you're fine. Stop being so overly sensitive. At least we both have a funny story to tell people that sounds too ridiculous to be true. Thanks, Mom. That is awfulsome. This is um, this is Shame and Secret Survey filled out by a woman who calls herself, Oh God, I'm not creative enough for this. She is bisexual in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. So, yes, of course it counts. Um, well, I'd, I'd say, of course, the odds are it's going to count. Um, when I was seven, an uncle was babysitting me, and he asked me to lay down with him and began touching me. I got up and ran to my grandmother's house, so nothing really happened. I always wonder if maybe I misread the situation. In my opinion, you did not misread the situation. Uh, I can't think of any appropriate reason that an uncle should ask a seven-year-old child to lay down and begin touching them. And the fact that you got up and ran to your grandmother's house so nothing really happened. No, something did happen. He violated your body just because your pants weren't off doesn't mean you weren't violated. Um, she was emotionally abused. Uh, she writes, I think anyways, my father was always very short-tempered and impulsive. He would yell, calling me incompetent and weak. I don't think he ever meant to hurt anyone, but rather he couldn't control himself. I had my ribs broken. Well, uh, you and <laughs> you and our previous one uh, had broken ribs. Um, I like how that's funny. That's how jaded I've gotten on this podcast of, oh my God, that's hilarious. Two children right in a row with broken ribs. Take a look at that, would you? Oh my God, broken ribs. I've been choked and thrown on the floor, pushed and slapped, and there was one quite interesting day that I had a hammer thrown at me. Was your dad a Greek god? Uh, good times. This went on from ages 4 to 18. My mother was around and aware. She did nothing, and her favorite threat was, wait until your father. Herbert. 
Uh, I want to clarify, however, that I was never beaten or anything. What do you mean? You had your ribs broken. You were choked, thrown on the floor. Oh, she writes, I want to clarify that I was never beaten or anything, just like five to ten seconds of what, whatever he had the impulse to do. Wow. The ability to minimize abuse is staggering how our brains will protect us. Oh, my God. Darkest thoughts. I miss being hit. I remember being terrified constantly, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but it also made me so strong. Want to hit me? Break my bones. Take away my air. Fine. I can handle that. But I feel like since I lost that part of my life, I've gotten so weak. I could take a punch like it was nothing when I was seven. But now at 22, I have a hard time leaving my apartment and passing something to me too aggressively has very dramatic results. Um, I miss the person. I'm not sure if I read that sentence right, but moving on. I miss the person I was, and I feel like maybe I could get her back if I was in the same kind of environment again. Uh, darkest secret. I cheated on my boyfriend. He doesn't know. No one but the two of us uh, do. Uh, it was only once, a couple of years ago. We didn't have sex, and we don't talk anymore. That's me trying to justify, if you didn't notice. It's one of my darkest secrets, but not because I cheated, which I'm well aware that it shouldn't be, but because I wish I had the lady balls to break up with my current boyfriend and actually pursue a relationship with this guy. He was a longtime friend, and I loved him, but I was too scared to leave something stable and safe to start over with someone who has a lot of issues of their own. I was scared we'd drown together. Um, and then she writes, feel proud, Paul. You are the only person who knows that. Well, now that and, and about uh, 30,000, 40,000 other people. Um, Herbert, I am going to go over there. I don't know what I'd do because I pick you up, move you out of the room. Let's go to another one. This is an awful moment. This is filled out by um, a woman who calls herself Always Trying. She's in her 50s and she writes, Oh, this one is. This, this might go in the awful uh, Hall of Fame. Um, I was pregnant and was having an abortion, and one of the technicians at the clinic was a co-worker of an ex-boyfriend that I had known socially. She had also wanted to date my ex while we were together. I didn't have the fortitude to ask her to leave. I was bawling from being scared and embarrassed beyond belief. That is... Wow. That is the creme brulee of awfulsome. I'm so sorry you had to experience that, but I'm so glad that you can, in hindsight, you can... You can smile about how awful uh, that was. This is. Let's see, do I want to read this one? I'm getting a little burned out. Yeah, I'm going to fast forward to this next one. This is a happy moment. And this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Lucy Goosey. She writes, I was happiest as a young kid when my mom would sit me in my high chair and give me baking ingredients in my mini Tupperware set so I could, quote, bake with her while she was making cookies or whatever. I'd mix the flour, sugar, raisins, and water together and feel like my mom really loved me. I remember her smiling at me and I felt happy and safe and loved. 
Of course, this is probably one of the reasons that I use food to cope with difficult feelings, but it's one thing I always think of when someone asks me about something happy from my childhood. Thank you for that. That's really sweet. This is... I'm going to read another awfulsome moment. This is by a a teenager. Uh, She calls herself Wayward Daughter, and she writes, My dad started dating my mom's best friend three years after my mom died, and I walked in on them having sex in the living room the other day. They didn't see me, so I backed out and drove back to my friend's house. Their cars should have an extra top gear just for peeling out. (laughs) For, for driving, I should say, as fast as possible away from walking in on a parent fucking. This is Shame and Secret uh, survey filled out by Britta. She is straight in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, she was uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Um... And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to read it because I'm actually just getting, I'm, <laughs> like I said on the previous episode, um, I'm getting a little molested out. Although this one's not, it's could be somewhere in a gray area. Um, now I feel like i got to read it because I said that. Um, oh, actually, I do want to read this one because I don't think this, I, I think this is to- totally normal kids play. All right. Um She checked. Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. And then she writes, I don't think this counts as sexual abuse, but I checked the box because the memory of it makes me feel like some sort of sexual line was crossed and it makes me uncomfortable and embarrassed. When I was seven or eight, my brother, uh, a neighborhood female friend, and I had a, quote, game of show me yours and I'll show you mine. There was no touching involved between the three of us and it was really quite tame. I think that quote, game is a normal thing that lots of kids do because they're curious about the opposite sex's bodies, and I try to tell myself that, but it still freaks me out that me and my brother share that experience. It feels incestuous somehow. Should it? And I, I'm not trying to tell you that you you sh- shouldn't be feeling what you're feeling unless the feelings you're feeling are filtered through how you think society views it, because I think that is totally normal. I think... Um, there was a brother and a sister on my block and sometimes there would be a group kind of show and tell things and they were part of it and I never thought anything about it. It was, I, that just to me sounds like kids being kids. So, um, that's my, that's my two cents. Uh, ever been emotionally abused? My father has always been emotionally distant and is often very critical about my life because of his conservative values. Any positive experiences? My father can be very hard on me and the others around him, but there is a sweet side to him and he can be very caring in his own special way. It's very hard to explain and it definitely complicates my feelings for him. Darkest thoughts. I hope every day that I will get into a car accident on the way to work. It's almost as if I want to get hurt or die, but I can't do it myself. Someone has to do it for me. I hope you know how common that is. Uh, Of the darkest thoughts that we have on the podcast, that is the number one. That one, and that I just want to leave my wife and kids or my husband and kids and start another life over someplace else. Um, 
darkest secrets, I know this is a bad way to calm myself down, but when my anxiety gets really bad and I get nauseous, I make myself throw up so that I'll feel better. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I definitely like to be controlled and have a man tell me what to do to him, obviously in a safe and respectful way. It hasn't happened yet because I mainly date passive men, but I think I would enjoy it. Sharing that makes me feel happy because I'm finally recognizing what I want out of a sexual relationship, and maybe one day I'll get up the courage and ask for it. Good for you. High five. Digital high five. Um, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell an ex-best friend of mine all the reasons why we aren't friends any longer. If she knew, maybe she'd change her life around. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to not be so self-critical. I also wish that I didn't overanalyze everything. Have you shared these things with it? And by the way, that is the gift of a hypercritical parent. Um, Man, it, it takes a lot of work to undo that negative thinking. Uh, Have you shared these things with others? No, because I think they have their own problems to worry about, and why would they care about mine? Well, because they're your friend, and it can help you connect on a deeper level. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel like I've got a bunch of things to talk about at my next therapy appointment. Um, Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? For those people out there with low self-esteem, I'd like to share a big hug with you and tell you that therapy helps a lot. I just started with a new therapist, and I think I'm going to get a lot of good work done on myself in the coming months. Maybe then I'll start to like myself again. And then finally, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a um, teenager, and she calls herself Lone Nugget. And she writes... Oh, Ivy's. Ivy's chiming in. She's writing, Recently, I have connected with an ex. At first, it was just sex, but now it's one of the deepest and strongest friendships I have. And yes, the sex is fucking awesome. I was reaching the lowest part of my depression cycle as I spent a Saturday home alone. He texted me to check in because he could sense something was wrong. In a moment of beautiful articulation, I texted him, I feel like an ice sculpture that's hollow on the inside. I can't move. If I let myself cry, I'm going to melt. If anyone touches me, I'm going to completely shatter. But all I want is to bawl my fucking eyes out while someone holds me. There's no one in my life that I could call without feeling completely selfish and guilty. I'm so tired of being fucked up. He responded by telling me he was coming over. He drove to my house in record time, walked straight through the front door without knocking, and climbed into bed with me. He held me and told me it was okay to lose control. That was all I ever wanted since I was a little girl. When I was scared at night by what I now know were the violent, compulsive thoughts from my OCD. My mom was dead asleep and my dad was at work. I would softly sob and wish someone would come in and hold me while I cried. No questions asked. And here it was, my one lifelong wish that I've never told anyone about coming true. But when I tried to cry, all I could do was laugh out of pure joy. That is fucking awesome. That is such a beautiful, happy moment. God, that made me happy. I love when happy is contagious. Well, guys, that's going to do it. Is that the first time I've, I've wrapped it up with that? Well, guys, that's going to do it. Um, I, uh, I hope if you've listened this far that you, you know that you're most definitely not alone and helps out there. And if you can just take that fucking agonizing step and saying to somebody who's appropriate, I need help. 
I need help. It saved my life, and it can save yours if you're in a really, really dark place. There's a lot of beauty in life. A lot of beauty. Um, so, yeah, that's it. You're not alone. And uh, thank you guys so much for, uh, for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.